Life Audio. Jesus says, if you will look to me, if you will look upon me, even though this thing seems perhaps so foolish to you and like, is there, could there be any other way? And why would Jesus do this? And how do we see just the darkest of the dark of humanity playing out here in the midst of all that? Jesus is like, look to me, look to me and you will be with me in paradise. Hey friends, welcome back to How to Study the Bible. I'm your host, Nicole Yunus. I'm so glad to be with you guys today. Hey, before we get into our passage for today, as we're looking at the passion of Jesus, I want to remind you about a couple things. The first is if you're finding this podcast helpful for you, or if there's a particular episode that has really meant a lot to you and you want to forward it on to a friend, I want to encourage you to do that and let them know about our podcast out here in the world. Also, if you want to stay connected, I want you to know that I do a weekly email that is just a a snack size bite of inspiration. I ask a question. I give an invitation. I usually share a resource each and every week on Wednesdays. That's called Real Talk Weekly. And you can find that by going to NicoleEunis.com slash Real Talk, R-E-A-L-T-A-L-K. NicoleEunis.com slash Real Talk. Would love for you guys to come jump on my email list and give us a closer connection than we have here. That would be fantastic. Hey guys, we're here because the Bible has changed so many lives. So just take a second and think about if you didn't have access to a Bible or you weren't even allowed to have one. This is a reality that many around the world are facing, which is why I want to tell you about one of our partners, Crew. Crew has missionaries in almost every country, and they are seeing people come to know Jesus. There's just one thing they're missing, a Bible in their own language, and that's where you come in. For only $24 a month, you can provide three people with Bibles each and every month. When you sign up to provide three Bibles with a monthly gift of $24, Crew will also provide meals to 12 hungry individuals through their humanitarian aid ministry. Plus, you'll receive a free copy of my new book, Not What I Signed Up For. Simply text STUDY to 71326 to help today. That's S-T-U-D-Y or visit give.crew.org slash study. Again, that's give.cru.org slash study. Message and data rates may apply and available to U.S. addresses only. Hi, I'm Rebecca Scott. As a servant of God, wife, and mother of four, I understand the juggle of multiple roles and stages. That's why I created the Encourager podcast to help guide us through the messy middle stage of life. Join me on the Encourager as we challenge the chaos and embrace harmony. Together, we'll create practical systems to balance your roles and fulfill priorities. And we will do it while having joy and energy for both home and work life. Tune in for inspiring stories and interviews, actionable tips, and methods to do both home and work life. Because here, we believe you can do all things, just not all at once. So we are in a series called Jesus 101, and we've been looking at really these five foundational movements of Christ so that we might understand his power and his purpose and our understanding of him as our Lord and Savior. So we started week one with identity, and we talked about Jesus's baptism and how God called him before he did anything else, before he did any miracles, before he 
was anything. He was obedient to the father to be baptized and that we see this beautiful statement of identity. You are my son whom I love with whom I am well pleased and that in Christ we are offered that same identity, that same standing and approval in God. The second thing we see is Jesus's temptation, which teaches us how we should expect for the enemy to also attack our identity, just as Jesus's identity was attacked. Jesus is our perfect example of resisting temptation. But it says to us in scripture that he himself was tempted, that he understands the human desire to meet our own needs, the human desire to to cope with the world by by going our own way. But Jesus faced all those temptations and did not actually sin. The third thing we saw was last week, we talked about kingdom and this idea of King Jesus and his inaugural address that he gives in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Now, between his teaching and the passion of Christ, the the thing he came to do, offering his life as a sacrifice for ours in the way that he was crucified, in between those two things, there's a lot, right? There's all of Jesus's parables, his teaching, his miracles, the way he healed, the way he helped people understand what faith looks like. All of those things are incredibly important. That's why we study the Bible together over and over again. We study these different aspects of Jesus. But if we're just naming the foundational things, identity, temptation, kingdom, and now today we're talking about passion, what Jesus did and why he did what he did. And the way I want to do that today, especially as we approach Easter, is I just want to read a longer passage of scripture for you. And I want to invite you to see this in your mind's eye, to see and imagine the characters and what's playing out in this story. And we're going to see this story move through Jesus's arrest and then into his crucifixion. I'm in Luke chapter 23. And I'm going to read the majority of the chapter to you. Let's go to God's word together. Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him. This is Jesus saying, we have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Messiah, a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted. He stirs up people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at the time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there, vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who is inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he has sent him back to us, as you can see. He has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But the whole crowd shouted, Away with this man. Release Barabbas to us. 
Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time he spoke to them, why, what crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and they put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs who have never bore, and the breasts that have never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Friends, I I just sometimes fear that the familiarity of scripture, the way that we, you know, go through life and maybe spend Sundays at church and celebrate Christmas and then celebrate Easter a few months later, I wonder sometimes if the depths of darkness that surround the story of Jesus's crucifixion, if they get lost on us, if the the true cosmic reality of what was happening in this moment, in these days, is lost on us because it just is familiar. And my hope and prayer for me and for you is that in this Passion Week, as we approach Easter, you might hear a little piece in this passage, a little part of this chapter that maybe you haven't noticed before that stands out to you. And when we ask that question, what does this say? I think that's really my heart and my hope is that you hear something. And for me, even though this passage is very, very familiar, the darkness of it, like it's like on display is the worst of humanity. That's that's kind of how I think of several of these characteristics of what's happening in this passage. You know, we start with Pilate and Herod, and you might not know a lot about Pilate or Herod, but what you need to know is that they're the power players in in this area and in this place. And 
they've got this interesting arrangement where the Roman government is allowing different territories and, and people. It's almost like if you would think about maybe a senator and a congressman or a senator and a mayor, that there's these different people who've got jurisdiction over different areas. And and yet you see this generally like playing with Jesus like an object, like looking at what he's done and being like, hey, this is a crazy guy like this. I mean, I'll, I'll get this crazy guy beaten if you want, but he hasn't really done anything wrong. Hey guys, we're here because the Bible has changed so many lives. So just take a second and think about if you didn't have access to a Bible or you weren't even allowed to have one. This is a reality that many around the world are facing, which is why I want to tell you about one of our partners, Crew. Crew has missionaries in almost every country and they are seeing people come to know Jesus. There's just one thing they're missing, a Bible in their own language, and that's where you come in. For only $24 a month, you can provide three people with Bibles each and every month. When you sign up to provide three Bibles with a monthly gift of $24, Crew will also provide meals to 12 hungry individuals through their humanitarian aid ministry. Plus, you'll receive a free copy of my new book, Not What I Signed Up For. Simply text STUDY to 71326 to help today. That's S-T-U-D-Y or visit give.crew.org slash study. Again, that's give.cru.org slash study. Message and data rates may apply and available to U.S. addresses only. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. And Herod is just curious about his tricks. It makes me sort of feel like Herod thinks of him as like a magician or kind of like a an interesting curiosity happening in his land. And he he wants Jesus to do things for him, right? He wants Jesus to up, to sort of respond to his applause. Does that sound familiar to you? Do you remember what happened in week two? Do you remember how the enemy tempted Jesus? He said, if you'll just throw yourself down, why don't you throw yourself down off of this high height and see the angels rescue you? Herod now thinks he has all power and says, why don't you just do a trick for me? so I can rescue you. You see, friends, often these temptations and testing and trial that comes into our life is to prepare us for a future moment. And Jesus was prepared for this moment. There was nothing interesting to him about considering responding and apply to the applause that Herod's looking for to like, hey, Herod saying like, hey, if you just do a trick, I'll get you out of this. And so we see this darkness descending upon this story as Pilate and Herod use Jesus like an object. They're sort of at at odds with one another, probably in a power struggle. And yet they both can unite around how fun it is to like toss Jesus back and forth. And then we see the crowd 
the crowd who is all riled up around this idea that Jesus needs to be crucified, perhaps some of the same crowd who sat and received food from Jesus when he fed the 5,000, or perhaps some of the same crowd who's seen Jesus do miracles, but now the crowd has turned. The mob mentality has taken over. They've been incited against Jesus and the very same people who perhaps even celebrated as he came into Jerusalem just a few days before are now yelling, crucify him. We are a fickle kind of people. We are easily swayed by power and fear. We see power and fear at play here, yelling, crucify, crucify. And then there's another character who comes into the story, and this is Barabbas. And Barabbas is an actual criminal, an actual insurrectionist who's actually stirring up the people. And the people would rather have a murderer released than Jesus released. And in many ways, we see this cosmic reality playing out where Jesus, the innocent one, takes the place of the guilty one. Jesus, the innocent one, takes the place of the guilty one. And what's more, the guilty one doesn't even know Jesus is doing it. The guilty one just goes free, right? Jesus doesn't wait for Barabbas to realize you should say thank you, right? Jesus is just going to do what he's called to do. The passion of Christ is to take the sin of the world upon himself, to take the guilt of the world upon himself, even for those who don't know that's what he's doing, even for those who don't know that they are sinning so deeply and desperately against the God of the universe. Perhaps that's why Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. There's this middle section where Jesus is walking after being flogged, beaten, mocked. He's being walked to his execution. And it says that he turns to these women who are wailing and mourning for him. And he says, don't weep because there's a time coming that's going to be much worse than this. And this is where truly I feel like the darkest darkness is coming as Jesus is led to the cross. Jesus is prophesying about what's going to happen Jerusalem is going to fall just 40 years after Jesus's death, and it's going to be terrible. It's going to be a terrible overthrow of Jerusalem that will be coming. And I think what Jesus is saying is, if you think this moment is bad, imagine what the moment is like in eternity when you turn away from me. And as all these people are turning away from Jesus, mocking him as he's being crucified, he knows those who will reject him will reject, will be an eternal torment separated from God. That It is incredibly important that he does this work. That's why we call it his passion, his great work. And then this final part, I think, is just so hopeful that we turn to when we see these criminals on the crosses next to Jesus. And in some ways, these sort of represent the two ways that people approach Jesus, right? Here's Jesus hanging between these criminals, and one of them is hurling insults at him, saying, if you're really the Messiah, why don't you save yourself? Oh, and by the way, why don't you save us? Which is so arrogant, if you think about it. Like, this guy is actually being executed for his actual crimes. And he's like, if you are who you say you are, if you actually have authority, why don't you just save yourself? And while you're at it, save me too. So much pride. And yet the other criminal on the other side of him says, what are you talking about? We actually are being punished justly. We're getting what we deserve. But then that same criminal looks at Jesus and sort of with this bold faith says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I mean, they are hanging on crosses. They are slowly suffocating. They are near death. Like life is ending. And this criminal has the faith to look at Jesus and say, remember me. And Jesus says, truly, I tell you today, you'll be with me in paradise. Like, In the midst of the darkest dark of humanity, in this moment where it's just like 
darkness descends over all of the earth. And it just looks like the story is going to end in tragedy. Yet it's like, I feel like there's almost this cosmic wink to this guy. Like, you know what? Remember when we started last week? Buster the poor in spirit. Like, sir, you hanging on a cross for your crimes are able to see Jesus for who he is. And Jesus is able to turn to you and say, today you'll be with me in paradise. Like, that's how close the goodness of God is. That is how close the kingdom of God. It is never too late to experience the kingdom of God. This is just absolutely one of my favorite passages in scripture in the midst of the fact that is also the darkest that the world has to offer. Can you believe that, friend, that in the darkest that the world has to offer, Jesus is still so close. He is taking the punishment for your sin. He is taking the weight of sin of the world upon his shoulder so that he can make a way for us to experience the kingdom of God forever, that we will be with him in paradise. Like as we turn to him and say, don't forget me. Like, I know I'm, I'm being justly punished. This criminal was like, I, I'm, I'm getting what I deserve, but I'm just going to fall upon your mercy and say like, will you remember me even though I don't deserve it? And that really is the the posture of those who follow Jesus. It's like, I know I don't deserve this, but like, will you remember me? And Jesus says, yes, I'll remember you. Yes, you're blessed. Yes, like I am the way and the truth that I'm going to make the way for you. And you will be with me in paradise. It's truly that simple, my friends. It's like the hardest thing to ever do and the simplest thing to ever do to just admit that Jesus has and has done what you could never do for yourself. And that Jesus says, if you will look to me, if you will look upon me, even though this thing seems perhaps so foolish to you and like, is there, could there be any other way? And why would Jesus do this? And how do we see just the darkest of the dark of humanity playing out here in the midst of all that? Jesus is like, look to me, look to me and you will be with me in paradise. I want to close as we run out of time with first Corinthians one that talks about this idea of what kind of person comes to Jesus. It says, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise, according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Last question that I have for you today, kind of our, what does this mean for me, is are you willing to accept Jesus on his terms? Are you willing to accept Jesus on his terms? It may seem foolish. It may seem like so preposterous that this is the way that it has to be. But are you willing to look to Jesus and say, remember me? Like, remember me. I know that you are who you say you are. I know you can do what you say you can do. And I want to be a part of your kingdom because that's what it means to follow Jesus. And we follow him all the way to the cross. We look upon his beaten and broken body and we say, you've done this for me. And I accept it. I accept that this is the way that it has to be. And that is the pathway to freedom. Talk to you soon. How to Study the Bible with Nicole Eunice is a production of Life Audio and Salem Media. If you like what you heard today, please take a second to rate and review the podcast in your favorite podcast app so that more listeners like you can find the show. 
For more faith-filled, inspirational podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. Hello, this is Dr. Doug Grothuis, host of Truth Tribe, where we seek the truth through reason and evidence about what matters most. And we are not tribal since truth is for everyone. Please join me at the Truth Tribe as I discuss the reasons for Christian faith, the Christian worldview, and moral issues such as abortion and gender ideology. To listen now, go to lifeaudio.com or search Truth Tribe on your favorite podcast app.